Well, hey there, and welcome to the Saints Church Glory Hills podcast. We're so happy that you joined us today. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, we believe that God will speak to you through one of our pastors today. Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, you can go to Luke chapter 2, which it always sounds like we're going to preach the Christmas story then, but uh, not today. Uh, just before I get into the word, I do want to mention a couple things. I'm really excited for June here at Glory Hills. We got uh, a lot of things going on, and, and they'll kind of unfold throughout the month. Uh, but I do want to highlight uh, VBS Day Camp. It's a week after the kids get out of school. So tell your friends, neighbors, people, get kids registered for that. It's going to be an incredible time. Uh, the theme this year is wildlife, and it's going to get crazy. And... Uh, Pastor Jeremy's just going to buy the kids so much sugar. It will be a wildlife that week when they come home after lunch. Uh, that's not a good selling point for day camp, but uh, it's going to be so good, and you want to be a part of that. And I also want to mention, uh, as Johnny mentioned at our time of giving, uh, June is Heart for the House month here at Glory Hills, and we will take our Heart for the House offering on the 25th, the last Sunday in June. And if you're new to church or you haven't heard us talk about this before, annually we take a sacrificial offering where we pray, we ask the Lord, what would you have me give? Uh, and this money goes towards things that build for future, whether it's uh, program staffing. We've been kind of in the realm of building and renovations, and I am so grateful for what God has done here on this property. And and I would say we are, um, from where we're sitting today, about $50,000 away from finishing everything we need to in the building and property, and then it's just paying out the mortgage, which, uh, how many would say that only God knew that in the current light of times and culture, us having a mortgage directly to another church where there is zero interest and I decide what the payments are each month is the total hand of God. Because if we had a loan for the remaining, I think it's $230,000, which, by the way, if we pay that faithfully by January 2027, for sure we will be debt-free. My goal is January 2025, but we got to trust God for that. And, and that's the heart, to see God use this corner, this property. And that was the heart of Hope Church when they transferred uh, and sold everything to us, was that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and there would be life in future. And it wasn't about money. It was about letting God continue doing what he needs to do in this community and us getting to be a part of it. So uh, we'll talk more more about that over the coming weeks and stuff, but that's like the, the Coles note version, and, and I'll bring a lot more detail and, and heart and all that behind that, but today, uh, I don't want to preach about money. I want to start in an area that's very dear to my house. Uh, tonight, I'd like to preach to you on the message saying, found in the house, found in the house. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2 and go to verse 41. Verse 41. So it says this. Every year, everyone say every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. So this wasn't like our culture where it's like the once a year at Christmas we go to church. This was one of the festivals that uh, in Jewish culture that they would go to. So they would go to, uh, we talked about it before, they would go for the festival of harvest, they would go for the festival of Passover, uh, and then they would go um, 
for uh, tabernacles, they would actually uh, leave their houses, their comfortable dwelling places, and they would go live in the desert. Uh, I believe it was for 14 days to remember what it was like when God brought them out and there was a time and period where they were solely dependent on God. Thank God your pastor is not one that's saying, let's have a two-week camping trip as a church and I'll live outside on the church property. I'm never going to do that, just so you know. Um, Camping is not my thing. I don't want to be that close. (laughs) You know, one of my favorite uh, comedians, this is so unholy, shouldn't say this in a sermon, but Jim Gaffigan, it's like, Camping is like saying, you want to burn a few vacation days sleeping on the ground? Wondering if you're going to get eaten by a bear? Like, that sounds amazing, right? Like, that's what everyone dreams of banking their holiday time for. And if you love camping, God bless you. Um, You are far better than I in that regard. Anyways, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So this was their custom, nothing weird. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, (laughs) okay? Parents, just cover yourself with grace. We make mistakes. Joseph and Mary, you know, they left Jesus in Jerusalem. It's okay. Pastors who forget their kids at the church thinking they went home with the other parent because we always drive two vehicles. You know, there's grace to cover that once in a while. They assumed he was with friends among the other travelers, but when they, he didn't show up that evening, they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, wow, they finally discovered him. He was in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, discussing deep questions with them. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. Now, if you are 12 years old in this room, Jesus could answer his mother like this. You might not want to. So Jesus answered this way. Why did you need to search, he asked. You should have known that I would have been in my father's house. She's like, this is your problem, not mine. But they didn't understand what he meant. They didn't understand what he meant. I want to talk to us today about being found in the house of God. And yes, it's summertime. And yes, we're talking about building together. And you're like, oh my gosh, is the pastor going to use this to say we should never go on vacation and be at church all summer long? I would feel so much better if you were here every Sunday, but you will feel better if you rest and take your holidays, and that's okay. It's all good, just so we know that. But what I want to get back to is the heart of the why, and God, what are you doing, and the value, and the, the reason we are a part of a church, part of the house of God, because I do know that in our time and in our culture, there is a great uh, dispersing and scattering from the very idea of church and gathering, and whether you want to dive into those or not, I believe that the house of God is his biblical model, his plan, his purpose to not only sustain and lead us forward in our walk with Jesus, but to call other people into to his presence, to his house, so people find a place and a home. And I'm, and I'm just going to tell you, I love the house of God. 
Some days I love it more than others days. And, uh, but the other thing is, is I don't just love the house of God because my paycheck depends on it. I hope you know that. You know, sometimes I, I get to share the word of God with you and you're like, that is really easy for you to say and to be excited about and be a part of the house of God because you get paid for promoting and being a part of and being excited about church. Yes, I do, and I'm very grateful, but that's not why I love the house of God. There are so many layers of depth to why this is, and, and I had to remind myself, I kept asking questions this week to remind myself about the why I love the house of God. I said in team rally, the house of God causes my family to prosper, but it also probably causes most stress in my life. Because we work in a business as pastors where you deal with people. Anyone who works in an organization or a business where your primary objective is to manage people, you know you got problems. <laughs> but God has grace for that. But I would say this, for many of us, there have been seasons where maybe we've questioned, wondered, or considered the importance of the house of God in our lives. I've been in church my whole life. But there were times, there were moments where, God, is it really that important if I go all that much? Do I really need to get involved in something other people seem to just chase this or chase that, and they make it a, an add-on to their life. God, why is this so important for me? And I think if you've never asked yourself those questions, don't just ask yourself those questions. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about why that's important. Because then it will come out of God speaking to you, and you'll know that God is stirring your heart, and it doesn't come out of guilt or condemnation from a, a pulpit or a preacher. It doesn't come out of your own insecurities. It doesn't come out of your own emotions when you walk away. It comes by understanding the Word of God and the Spirit of God of why it's important for us to be a part of His house and His plan and His purpose in the earth. And I believe that if we're going to be a people that have a heart for the house, if we're going to believe in the house of God, if we're going to build it, if we're going to be found in it for all of our lives. I'm a really big proponent of a generational church. I was wondering if I should call this message Generation Church because I believe that the house of God is not for kids when someone brought them to kids' church or not for youth group when someone picked them up and drove them to youth group and then they disappear. It's not for you disappear in your young adult years and then when you have your own kids, you realize that was good when you were a kid so you show back up at church. I actually believe that the call of God, the house of God is a generational thing that people are called to be a part of, find themselves in the house and live out their life in purpose in the house of God. It is a lifetime of family and relationship and all of those things. And every once in a while, we need to reframe and we need to rework and catch a fresh vision of why it's actually important. We need to remember what it's actually about from time to time. Because if I'm really honest with you today, there are important things about church, but it is not about this building. It is not about this property. It's not about the stupid gophers that I can't get rid of. <laughs> it's not about the little frustrations. It's not about putting your butt in a seat every week saying, oh, I checked the box. Now I'll go on my week and I'll forget till next week. It's really not all about those things, but those things actually bring us to a place to encounter God, to experience who He is, and to know our purpose in life. And, and we got to 
ask ourselves some questions about being found in the house of God on how it's going to lead us and, and move us forward in our life. Because all throughout the Bible, I just started thinking about the different pictures of the house of God and what it meant to people and what it was for. And I began to go back to the why. And it wasn't just about uh, checking a box or, or saying you're a good person or anything like that. They, they had a heart behind it that led them to believe that God was pulling them forward and it happened through his house. For instance, Solomon, oh, my shirt came untucked. That's okay. Should tell everyone what my wife said this morning. She goes, oh, I like those pants. Isn't it nice that they fit you again? <laughs> Praise hallelujah. <laughs> Marriage course coming this fall. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> At least she didn't say anything when they didn't fit. For instance, we go throughout the Bible, Solomon built a temple that was magnificent and glorious, and sometimes we have our ideas about that. Should churches look like this? Should they be like this? Now, let me tell you something about the heart of Solomon. Solomon's heart was never perfection or how it looked. It was about giving his absolute best before God, and Solomon had the wealth, resources, and ability to give his best, so his best just looked magnanimous. It looked incredible, and even kings and queens thought, how incredible is this? And it wasn't out of a heart of making a name for himself. It was out of a heart of doing his best for God. And so then when we start thinking about that, we start thinking, well, if churches are giving their best for God, can we grow? Can we do things? Can we try things? Can we lead people to Jesus and, and be excellent about it? I believe 100% yes, as long as we don't make it about all of this stuff. So Solomon builds this magnificent house, but this is what his heart was behind it when they dedicated the temple and you read where Solomon prayed and the glory of God filled the house his prayer was two things that the people of God could come and cry out before God and that he would hear them and they would hear God that was the purpose of the house. That people had a place to gather to say in this incredible place, whenever we come, we can hear the voice of God. We can lay out our prayers, our petitions. We can cry out to God. And God will hear us and we can hear an answer from God. The house of God was about a place of connection with God more than it was about all the other things. And Solomon said, I'm just going to do my best to make sure this place is incredible. That when people come and they see, they experience the glory of God in that way. So that was Solomon. For David, his father, the house of God, the, the place of worship was more about deep presence and deep, incredible worship. And I believe Solomon picked up those things from his father, but David, every time you hear about the tabernacle of David and, and the meeting and the presence of God, it was about bringing the presence of God. Can the presence of God live among us? Can we worship before it? Can we experience God? And I believe that came out of David's heart, understanding that, yes, I can have a personal relationship one-on-one -on -one with God. He wrote those psalms. He, he did those things when he was in caves and in fields, and he communed with the Father. But he said, we need to be able to gather together because other people people need to experience this. Christians that believe it's just me and Jesus are short-sighted, I'm sorry to say, because they're holding it for themselves. There is something about what God does in your life that is meant for other people. And we got to experience God, and we also have to be able to build something so other people can experience God. 
for Joshua and the armies back in the book of Joshua, back when they go into the promised land. The camp at Gilgal, the picture of the house of God, was so when they went out to battle and they came back, they had a place of refuge. They had a place for their wounds to heal. They had a place where they could come and be comforted and strengthened and refreshed before they went out again. This is week-to-week church, my friends. You need a place that after you face the things you face with your family, your job, your stresses, the things of life, this should be a place where you come and say, God, I lay it all before you. I have people here that are going to encourage me, cover me, build me up, strengthen me, Lord. I need to experience your presence because tomorrow i got to go back out to that. And it was a coming and going. We gathered to scatter. This was what happened even back in the days of Joshua, Hannah. Hannah was a woman who was barren. She couldn't have children. And yet, it was in the house of God that she could pour out her heart, pour out her grief, pour out her experience, lay it all before the Lord, and the priests are, and the priest prays for her, and she felt safe in that place to look foolish, to experience her emotions, to leave them at the feet of the Father. And sometimes... We're like, oh, come to church, be happy, be excited, all these things. Sure, you don't want to tell everyone everything, but why do we pray for people? Why do we create space? Because this should be a space where you can pour out the grief, the pains, the things. Not so everyone knows it, so people can pray and stand with you and believe for God's healing and God's work that only the Holy Spirit could do. Hannah found a safe place in that, and yet... When she had children, like a lot of people think, okay, she had Samuel and then she dedicates him to the Lord. She had children after that. And when she found breakthrough, when she found a joy or an answer, she actually, Hannah shows us that the house of God was a place for her family. And I, and I ask you this, and I've preached on this a whole message before, but what are you going to offer to God? A lot of times in our, in our lives, in, our, in what, how we walk, in those things, Hannah brought her kids back to the house. Now, Samuel was an extreme case. Please don't bring any kids to live with me to train them and live in this building. Because I don't live in this building. But if people have babies and there's things, my wife would take them. I know she would. But every time we approach the house of God with our young kids, with our families, and and it's a struggle, I get it, and it takes effort, and it takes a lot of work. We're saying, God, I want them to be found in the house. I want them to know this is a safe place. I want them to know that this is a place where they can become who you've called them to be. So that's Hannah. Then we go to uh, the next one I wrote down here was, um, sorry, I lost my place. Moses. I feel like a lot of people use this scripture and say, well, Moses met God on the mountain and God spoke to him there. And I said, I'll say, yeah. So you have those experiences one-on-one with God. But when it says later on in scripture, when he met with God, when he was the leader after that first encounter experience, it says he went into the tent of meeting and that's where he met with God face to face. There were appointments, there were meetings, there was scheduled time to encounter the presence of God that Moses had in his life. And then we get to the New Testament believers. The New Testament believers uh, built their lives and communities around their houses and the house of God. And people say, okay, see, now we're New Testament, New Testament church. We don't need to be in a building all the time. I'll say, no, we don't need to be in a building all the time. But it says they met together weekly and house to house. 
That, that, that was the pattern that they went into, and eventually they became churches because of the, the, the Jewish culture and religion and, and the, the teaching in the temple started to change in the New Testament church. So then Paul and the apostles and, and you know John and James, they had to start building churches where they were teaching the apostles' doctrine. They were under it together. Then they went house to house, and the whole church as we know it, community was born, and that's how people were found in the house. It Actually, they were added to the church. The first phrase we see in Scripture was not they got saved, gave their life to Jesus, they said a prayer. It says they followed what Peter said, repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they were added to the church. It was like we were part of a family as soon as this happened. It wasn't figure this out and do this on your own. And I remember someone saying once, we've done this for a long time in church, and, and I don't hear me wrong. I got friends that do revival crusades and meetings and all these things. And I think there's value in them and people need a chance to hear the gospel. But it's always better when they come with a friend because at those meetings we ask someone to pray a prayer, start their journey with Jesus, and then we tell them, here, come get your Bible and go find a good church. That's like telling a baby to be born and go find some good parents. Somebody has to care for them. And so I'm just saying, church, I love your friends. I love people who walk through these doors, who come and experience Jesus, and they give their life to Jesus. But after, if we are their family, we are responsible to walk with them, to help them grow, to help them with the things that they need. And the house of God becomes so intricate and so involved in all these things. And then Jesus, we come to Jesus. In Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is on the pages of Scripture in prophecy, and then he is born, and we see the stories around Jesus' birth. Then when he goes to the temple, and Simeon and Anna pray over him and prophesy over him, after that, we don't see, okay, we could say the wise men. The wise men probably came closer to when Jesus was 18 months old, two years old, somewhere in there. That's why Herod wanted to kill everybody under the age of two, Okay. But after that instant, his infant years, we see one recorded story of Jesus before he starts his public ministry at 30, and it's the one I read this morning in Luke chapter 2, where he's in the house of God, and he's asking questions, and he says to his parents, why did you need to search? Didn't you know? And I believe that we're called to be a people that are found in the house, but I believe that if we're going to do that, we need to ask ourselves some questions today. And so what I want to do is I want to ask us five questions about being found in the house just for us to process, take inventory in our life and say, God, do I value this? Why do I value this? What are you saying to me? Where do you want to lead me? And the first question I want us to ask is this. Ask yourself really honestly, do I believe I need to be found in the house of God? Because if you struggle with the very thought of whether or not church is important and you have a part to play and a need to be here, you will struggle in a lot of areas of your faith, of accountability, of growth, of experience that God has for you. We have to ask ourselves, do I believe that I need to be found in the house of God? Because when I don't believe that, then we start saying, well, then I don't believe I need accountable to, to be accountable to spiritual authority. I don't believe that I need to be involved in certain things that scripturally God laid out that only happen through the house of God. And Hebrews 10.25 says this. He says, 
Uh, it says this, uh, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Now, this, this is not me saying passive aggressively or anything like that. Oh, don't ever miss church. No, 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 that's not what we're saying here. But there was something that was happening. If you read the verse before, it talks about you are in Christ. So a lot of people stop there. They said, well, I'm in Christ. Everything's good. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on and goes, yes, you're in Christ. And he saved you. And he set you free. But don't stop there because you need each other. You need the house of God. And your neglecting of being together is actually hindering and hurting the relationships, the growth, the support that you have in walking with Jesus. Jesus because we're a family. People tell me all the time, it's, it's been years now, and I'll be the first to admit, churches can be clicky. They are imperfect at times. Not everyone's nice all the time. But people say, well, I have a hard time getting connected. And then I ask, did you invite anyone for lunch? Did you ask someone if you could go for coffee? Did you step out and try something? Because I firmly believe in Proverbs where it says, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. And there, there is a two-way street on that. And, and I hear you, for some of you, you've tried and you've done that and you felt pushed aside. And then you don't know how to deal with the hurt and the feelings of rejection. And let me just tell you, I pray that Jesus heals that and works in your life. And this is one thing I tell my leaders all the time. What we really pray for you in church is not that my preaching's amazing and not that the worship team gets better and better every week. One of the things I actually pray for is you that you find three or four good friends because you need people to walk with in your faith. Because all of this other stuff we do is lived out and grown out in our lives when we have people to live it out with. And that's what we're striving to do. That's why I harp on small groups all the time. That's why we do events. That's why we do connection, all these things. Because we're trying to create space for people to find people that they connect with. And you won't be close friends or connect with everyone, but I pray that you find three or four people that know when you're not here, that ask you where you were when you weren't at church last Sunday, because whenever I ask someone, people feel like I'm judging and condemning, and that's not exactly why I'm asking. I genuinely care, but when your friend says, oh, I missed you at church, you're like, oh yeah, we missed being there and talking to you and seeing you. It takes on a whole different dimension. Most of the time when I ask why people weren't in church or where you were, uh, I want to know, hey, did you have a great time on your holiday? I want to get to know your life, or I'm asking because of this, because I know when you're not here, your gifts are not in the building, and your gifts reach people that I cannot. And this is not just me, this is not just our team, this is everybody together building the house of God. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do I believe I need to be found in the house? Question number two is this, we have to ask ourselves, we have to remind ourselves and ask wholeheartedly, can I find my purpose in the house? I would argue to say that purpose and placement are so closely connected. Most of the time, your purpose is not downloaded in some heavenly vision where you know that you know that this is your calling and this is what you're going to do. For some people, it is. In my life, I knew when I was like 
between 12 and 14 years old, I was called to the ministry that that was going to happen, but then I had to work out where would I situate and position myself to make that happen, to be a part of that, and be ready for when God calls. But I would say that most people find purpose, calling, uh, and, and what they're going into in placement and proximity to people or the things that lead them down a certain path. Most of you got in your careers or your job because you knew someone or walked with someone that said you would be good at this, and they encouraged you, and they walked with with you and you found some sense of purpose or calling in those sorts of things. And I would argue that people who are in church who see the world on a perspective with godly eyes versus the world's aspects of make enough money, do this, do that, all these things. When you see differently, you actually see everything you do differently. And then wherever you're placed in life, your purpose is not diminished by the placement you have. Your purpose is actually fulfilled because your purpose comes from what God has shown you and the things you're called to do wherever you are. I've been working on some stuff with Pastor Brett, and one of the things that I think culturally we need to get through our heads and our hearts and in our church family is this, saints see differently. Saints need to see things differently. They need to see things according to God's perspective. We need to see lost people according to God's perspective. We need to see our daily lives and the mundane tasks according to God's perspective. But if we're not immersed in and covered in the things of the house of God, a lot of times we spend our time, our effort, our energy chasing purpose outside. And I actually believe some of our greatest purpose comes through how God uses us and shows us through his house because whether you think you need people or not let me just tell you we all need someone and someone needs us and you can put on a hard shell exterior saying I don't need to be recognized or known by someone uh, to feel important but we've all had days where we go home and we say nobody talked to me at that thing or I felt overlooked and that kind of stuff we need to be needed we need to be known we need to do that for other people because God is using all of us to build his house And if we're going to be a people that have a heart for the house, we have to ask ourselves, do I believe I need to be found in the house? Do I believe I can find my purpose in the house? But the third question is very important because I would ask this to every single one of us, and I ask this of myself all the time. I ask myself, am I being built in? Because there's a big difference between building what we want or being built into what God wants. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you got your Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. It says this. It says, You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you're his holy priest through the mediation of Jesus Christ. You offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We can get into a whole bunch of things with this on worship, on the, the we are all priests. We minister before the Lord. We minister before others. We've talked about that in weeks past. But I would say this. We have to ask ourselves the question, am I being built into the house of God? There are a lot of people that come to Christ but never let themselves be built in. And whether they throw that under the guise of there's no place for me or I'm not wanted or all of those things or I got other things I'm working on and I'm doing, I would say this, don't stop short at coming to Christ, experiencing the greatness of his salvation and who he is, and that's what we celebrate each and every week at church, but I want you to ask yourself, am I being built into what God is doing, and I'm letting him build me, am I letting him build me into what he is doing? 
Because this implies that we are actually going to let God shape and form us through his house. Now that's a big step. That's a little shift from come as you are. God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Yeah, but in that wonderful plan for your life, he's saying you are living stones being built into God's holy temple. God is building something, and just like building a, a building out of stone and brick, there are things and rough edges and pieces and things he will do to your life, and he will place you and fit you where he needs you and wants you, and sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but the question is, am I willing to let God do that in my life? I should also note, a lot of people try to take this scripture and say, yeah, but it says we are a spiritual temple, so I only need Jesus. Jesus is everything you need, but I'm going to tell you today that we need one another. We need leadership. We need accountability. We need the prayer of the house. We need the laying on of hands. We need the gifts. We need everything that God wants to do to lead us forward because we are truly better together than apart. But sometimes the forming and the fashioning of our lives and letting ourselves be built in with a people and a part of a people can be painful or agitating because sometimes uh, we don't want certain things. Sometimes it's agitating. Come on, let's be honest. We love everyone here, but some of them agitate us. Right? I was thinking about this in this message. This is a totally another aside. But I find it so interesting that all throughout the New Testament, the writers often use the phrase brothers and sisters. And this just really struck me. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. I'm like, you know who fights the most out of everybody? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters will tell you when they think you're wrong. Brothers and sisters will make that comment when you're doing something stupid. Brothers and sisters will call you to account. But I would hope that brothers and sisters actually would be the first one that come to have your back and be inside you when the enemy or someone from outside is trying to hurt you. Right? Like I love my brother and my sister. And my brother and I, we can go toe-to-toe with words and all these things. But hey... If I was in a bind and I needed someone there, I know who would come first. And those are the things. So this whole language of family and letting ourselves be built in doesn't mean we always have the, the everything all together and it's not perfect and nice, but it means, God, you're building me a part of this and I need these people and I need these things in my life and we work through those things. Why? Because God is building something greater than we could do out on our own. And he's designed it so we need each other. Let's have the band come back up. So first question was this. Do I believe I need to be found in the house? Second question, can I find my purpose in the house? Third, am I being built in? Fourth, I would say this. Do others know where to find me? Ask yourself that question. Do people know where to find you? There's something that strikes me about Jesus' answer in Luke chapter 2. Let's look at verses 49 and 50. Jesus says this, but why did you uh, need to search? Did you know, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Some other translations say that I must be about my father's business. I just don't know how to put this question 
to any answer for our lives other than saying this. I believe that our lives should be so marked and noticeably different that people know our lives are shaped and transformed by the community we have in church and what God is doing at work each and every week in our lives. I actually believe that the world outside and people should see us this way. One example of this is uh, my in-laws. I love my mother-in-law, and I don't just say that because there's a mic on and all these things. I love my mother-in-law. And when we first got married, you have to understand, she lived in Ontario, Brandy lived here. One day after three months of dating, she phones her mom and says, this guy and I are getting married, uh, we're getting engaged right away. And then they showed up like two and a half weeks before our wedding. I met her one other time before that. And then we got married and then they went away for about a year. And when they came home, we were about a year married. It was like, well, what are you guys doing tonight? You want to come for dinner? No, sorry, we got church. And it was like probably two, three years. Like, oh, do you have church? How many times do I tell you? We got church every Sunday, you know. Uh, and, and part of it was because of my job. But there was things that they began to see later in life and, and things where throughout time and throughout the years where, you know, we'd be in a line to sit on Santa's lap because grandma wanted a picture grandma had broken her wrist and our daughter says grandma can I pray for your arm it's because she had been in church there would be times where we plan family things and we try and talk and get together and the conversations now change like well I know you guys have church so when can we do this because we know that's important to you and I'm not saying we need to make our lives look so good like we're these good Christian people and we go to church and all those things. But let me tell you, when someone hits rock bottom, when someone feels like their marriage is falling apart, when someone feels like they don't know where to turn, they look for someone who's walked through hard things and their life has been transformed and then they have been stable. And quite often, more than not, they come to people who have been in church. I remember one young man who sat in my office when I was a youth pastor and he had gotten high. His mom caught him. So she says, Pastor Jeremy, you need to meet with him. And I'm like, okay, I'll meet with him. But I'm, this kid's in grade 12. He graduates in three months. And I said, I'll meet with him. But he had never really come to youth group. And so I said, I, I don't really have any spiritual authority here. He doesn't view me really as a leader. He's just coming because you're mad at him and you want me to meet with him. But I'm still happy to meet with him. I'll take any opportunity. And so I sit down with this kid and I said, okay. So I heard what happened. He goes, yeah. And I just point blank asked him. I said, are you meeting with me because you want your mom to stop being mad or you actually want to change your life? He just looked at me. He's like, what kind of question? I'm like, like, I'm just being honest, man. Like, you're going to be 18 right away. You're in grade 12. Like, it is not my job to convince you you're so bad or this or that and you need Jesus. You know all that. He goes, well, honestly, I'm here because I just don't want my mom to be mad. I said, okay. Well, I'll tell you what I know. Your mom will stop being mad at you. But you got to start being honest with her because if you're not going to live for God, you just got to make that decision. Didn't see the kid for like three years. 
one Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve service is about to start. We had big production, all these things, stuff for the family half hour before, about 15 minutes before the service started. This young man walks into the building, sees me in the lobby, and he comes to me. I'm like, hey man, it's so good to see you because here's the thing. No matter what choice people make when they choose to walk their own way, I want to be a person, I want to be a place where when they come back, they can come and experience the love of the Father. God can restore many things if we're willing to let him bring grace. And he said, can I talk for a second? So he slipped into my office and he just broke down. See, the funny thing is, is out of all those years, and I don't know what went on totally in his life, he, he just knew that he could come back to the house of God. He knew that he could find someone that would maybe listen. He didn't know what the answer was going to be. And I just said, hey, man, you're here now. Just take another step forward. Your family's glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. There's always a place for you. And so when I asked the question, and when we asked the question, do people know where to find you? Do they know that your life is so intertwined with the call of God, the purpose of God, the things that he's called you to, that they look at a life that they think, maybe I could live that way. Maybe I could live differently. Maybe things could change for me because a lot of people don't know where to go or where to turn because they actually haven't seen it modeled or lived out in any other better way. But when people know where to find you, when we're found in the house, when we're found in the ways of God, they should know who they're looking for and where they're looking. But the last question I have for us this morning is this. And I believe this is so important for the church today. Question number five is, how often do we ask ourselves, do I understand my father's business? Do I understand why I come to church? Do I understand why I get involved? Do I understand why I join a group? Do I understand why I live out the pattern and the model of life that I try to do in a church culture? Because I would argue to say that there are many people that sit in church week to week to week and they have no clue of the why behind many of these things. And I'll say this, kingdom business, yes, at times has its aspects of business. We need a legal board of directors to meet our requirements for the CRA. We cannot function without that, which means we need budgets, we need meetings, we need finances, we need buildings. There is a business aspect to the kingdom, and I will never, ever shy away from that. So sometimes people are like, well, it feels like we got all this business stuff and this. Well, that stuff plays into the heart of the Father's business of the why we do these things. See, Jesus modeled what it was all for. Jesus said, didn't you know that I need to be in my father's house? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Because hear it clearly this morning, the father's business is people and presence. And when we don't gather, we don't usually have either. The Father's business is about people 
and presence. The Father was so about people that He sent His Son into a lost and dying world because of sin that He might have relationship again with what? People. And it's only through Jesus that we as the people of God can experience His presence. But every encounter that we have in His presence, it changes us, it transforms us, it moves us forward in His call for our life. And so as we gather, as we do things together, as we make plans, as we do some of the things that just seem like program and business and why a day camp and why do we do this event or that event, why? Because God wants to draw people to His presence. And when we gather and we're in His presence, when we do things, we carry the presence of God in those events, in those camps, in those areas. And God is drawing more people to experience who He is through us. And that is such a sobering thought that a sinful, broken person like me could actually carry something of the goodness of God that shows somebody else their life can be different. So the question I have for us is, Will we be found in the house? Not just for attendance. Because we believe it's changing us. We believe that the relationships are life-giving to us. We believe that the encounter is leading us into purpose and calling. We believe that God is building us in and we're finding our place. We believe that people and presence are everything to God. And so we use buildings and properties and finances and events to facilitate those things. But at the end of the day, all of those things are tools and avenues to lead us back to the place where we gather to encounter the presence of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we carry that out so a lost and dying world can experience the same through us. So when we start looking at it like that, church is so much more different than let's check a box and go this week. I guess all my friends joined a group. I guess I should go. side note then we're going to stand I'm thinking about we're going to announce the summer family carnival I believe it's on Friday night the 14th of July now this is not just hear this this is not bible it's not gospel this is my opinion now just so you know this is not a like ooh, no spiritual manipulation anything like that I just so firmly, though, in my own heart, believe sometimes people don't come to these things because they think, well, I don't have kids that age, or, you know, I'm not good at helping with those types of things, or this or that. Can I tell you, those events are better when you're there because you will connect with people, and you carry something that I can't to the community. When we do things together as a church family and a body, Sometimes it's like, well, I wasn't asked to to flip burgers or I wasn't asked to do this. So I don't know if I should go. It's It's a family event and my kids are growing up. No, you should come because we're a generational church and we need sons and daughters and leaders and young families and 
parents whose kids have left home and mothers and fathers and elders and, and people who help us connect all across the board. Because our world is reeling. And there's such a lack of structure and family and where can I find safety and support? And I believe the house of God has that. Amen? So why don't we stand this morning? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray over us. I'm going to pray a prayer for this house. And then we're going to go into this song, straight into this song, and then we'll close. But as we bow our heads, close our eyes, lift your hands, my prayer is this. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be those who are found in the house. I pray that we would be a people that so passionately chase after your presence and your purpose for our lives. Lord, I pray today that we would find ourselves being committed to being a place for people to experience the hope and presence of Jesus. God, I pray that we would be a place of generations, that no generation would be lost, passed over, skipped over. And I pray that, God, when we get a heart for your house and we're found in your house, we would be a place that models and reciprocates and produces after that for generations to come. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the strength and the heart to do this. Lord, even as we sing in that one song sometimes, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, and I pray that you would help us to understand that as we are so blessed to experience all of these things and these times when we gather and the power of your presence, if we are going to be a people found in the house, we also need to commit to being a people who will build and be built in. God, so I pray that every single person here by your Holy Spirit would say that I'm going to make a commitment to build the things of God, the house of God, and I'm going to be built into the family and be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions or are looking to get connected in any further way, head to saintschurch.ca and we would love to meet you.